Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we are joined by uh, two people, our guest and, and our a, a new co-host. The guest, of course, we want to introduce first is Andy White. He is the founder of Medic.com. Welcome, Andy. Welcome. Hello. Nice to see you. How are you doing, Jeremy? Doing great. Thank you. And we've got a new co-host, and he's he's going to be like the main host, the host with the most today. And I'm going to I'll interject from time to time, but we're going to welcome Ollie Sharp. He is the VP of Revenue Operations for AMIA at SalesLoft. Welcome, Ollie. Thank you, Jeremy. Good to be here. I'm excited about Andy because uh, I, as listeners know, I li- I read almost every sales book that comes out, and I read Medic Andy's book recently, and was uh, you know really taken with how concise and yet detailed and prescriptive the book was. I think for people who want to understand the methodology, you really couldn't read a better source. Uh, and I, I rarely hand out praise for a sales books. So this is this is once once a must read. Before we do that, Andy, we want to get to know you a little bit. And, and I'll just take a second to sing your praises because I have a rule that I generally don't allow people who have moved into full-time consulting roles on the show. You pass through my screen for two big reasons. One, obviously, is the, the book is solid. And then the second one is you've got 20, I'm guessing, ish years as a sales leader, starting, you know, as a as a store manager selling phones, you know, all the way on up through some of the the greatest enterprise uh, SaaS companies. And, and you've learned from some amazing folks along the way. Uh, but to get to know you, I'd love to ask you, you know, when you were younger, I guess, outside of phones, what was uh, the first thing you ever, ever remember selling? Cool. Well, thank you first and foremost for that very kind introduction, Jeremy. I'm, I will say two things, if I may, uh, before answering that great question. The first is that Ollie and I have talked about this. I would see the Jeremy bump on book sales anytime you quoted anything to do with the book. You could see it a couple of days after when Amazon shows the dispatches that uh, you had said something nice. So thank you very, very much for that. And also, yeah, wow, it's actually my birthday today. And so you're talking about my 20-year sales career makes it hurt all that little bit more. I'm at that age. <laughs> I'm at that age now where birthdays sob yourself away into some cake. But um, yeah, when my sales career started, the people in the UK listening will understand very well as selling double glazing. And I know we were joking before when I mentioned about this, that uh, to, to Americans wouldn't necessarily know what double glazing is. It's a technology of you know two panes of glass, basically on the windows on your house that, that kind of you know, is, is more insular. I think they're now up to quadruple glazing. I don't know. I imagine Ollie's house has probably got eight panes of glass and, and all that kind of stuff going on. Really, really eco-friendly. But um, I, love to, I love to reference this because double glazing, you have to understand, is the very lowest rung of sales you can get. I would say, I know in the US, there's, a, there's sort of a stigma with secondhand car sales. That is like the gold standard compared to double glazing sales. You are the the very, very bottom rung. You're basically going door to door, knocking on people's door while they're eating their dinner and saying, hey, can I basically come around and give you a quote for some new windows? And they're kind of like, hey, I've got some windows. Can't you, can't you see? So commission only, uh, an industry where people just don't really like you very much. But I will say, I swear to you, I learned more from selling double glazing than I have in any sales role ever since. One of the things I loved about it, one of the things I really benefited from is that I would do probably 10 to 20 sales cycles a week. And so you're getting this accelerated experience of going from like the whole sales process, because it still is a sales process, even though it's only squashed into like a couple of hours. So I learned a ton from that. 
Ollie, before you jump in, I, I, I had one kind of starter question as well, which is you just mentioned sales process. I was speaking to somebody just yesterday and they said, you know, I need a sales process. And we spent some time actually clarifying what, what the difference is between a sales methodology and a sales process is. So can you elaborate on, on your point of view on that? Yeah, great point. I think a sales process is first and foremost in, in modern sales. And I, I, I say modern sales, I think this has always been the case, but there's more attention on this now. A sales process, really, you want to overlay it as closely as you can to the customer's buying process. So, you know, I think that before we, we kind of differentiate too much, really, when we think about a sales process, it's the stages of how you approach a customer that can kind of give you a good indication of what are the right steps to take at the right point in order to best apply all of the resources, all of the skills, everything you've got to that engagement with the customer. And so the process is kind of like the steps and stages is probably the best way of defining it, I'd say. A sales methodology for me sits in parallel to that. And that is the method, you know, given that it's a methodology, the method in which you take to approach the customer. Interestingly, there's a lot of people that have a lot of very strong opinions on sales methodologies and frameworks and this sort of stuff. I don't tend to worry too much about what you call the different things, whether it's Challenger, whether it's Miller, Hyman, Sandler, all of these different things. I think what matters is how, how you apply them. The reason why I mention that is a lot of people, when they specifically talk about my world, which is medic, they would say that that's not a sales methodology, they'll say it's a qualification framework. And you kind of get into this like really detailed picking between the two. And actually, I think that um, the main thing people should be focused on is is how they use them, how well they align to that sales process. And of course, the most important thing is how well they align to the customer's buying process. So I'm really passionate about the idea of that um, most methodologies that have stood the test of time offer value to sales teams, the difference comes in how you apply them. Okay. Andy, thank you for spending some time with us on your 57th birthday. It's very kind of you. I'm sure you've got things to do. We use Medicare, especially in the enterprise space, but people see it differently and there's always different views on it. But one thing I'm curious about is what do you feel people get wrong with Medic? Where do they mess up when bringing it on? I guess the number one thing that people get wrong, I mean, this is probably the one that triggers me the most. People that get it wrong the most are the ones that haven't properly understood what it stands for, what it is. And I think if you pull back the layers on what Medic is there to do, it is a qualification framework. The differentiator comes in what you define as qualification. In sales, there's a real big divide between what I see as elite salespeople and how they qualify versus how a majority of of our industry qualifies. And the most simple way I can describe the two differences is that when I work with elite salespeople, you almost feel like they've got cheat codes, you know, like in a computer game, because when they talk about their deals, they all sound so easy. They make it sound like a walk in the park. And you think to yourself, how have they got such great customers? Their customers seem to just, they, they must have such great connections. That must be what it is, because they seem to have such great engagements with their customers. They focus from a perspective of, is there a deal here for my company, for me and my company? Is there, an, is there a deal to be had here? Does this customer have budget? Do they have authority? Do they need what I'm selling? That for me is not elite selling, because especially when you've got such innovative products as we have today in the market, the norm is that the customer doesn't know that they need our solution or they don't know the full value of what our solution does. So therefore, the idea of them having a budget or having the uh, need for it is probably unknown at that stage. When we're talking about qualification, what we're actually qualifying, is there enough value in this opportunity 
for it to make it worthwhile for our customer and me as the salesperson to engage in a project of evaluation, which is a sales cycle, which is can be months and months and months of effort from both sides. If we're going to enter into that, let's look from a grown-up perspective of figuring out, do you have enough pain, Mr. and Mrs. Customer? And is that pain important enough for you to be able to invest the time that I need you to do to help me build a business case for you for this project to go ahead? When you kind of step back from that and you look at those elite salespeople, like I said a second ago, and what, what they're doing, the reason why it looks so easy for them is because if you're not prepared to invest in the sales cycle with them, then they're not interested in working with you. They're, they're on to the next one. And so that's what I think is the main thing that, that people get wrong when they think about medic is they think about it as being like this checklist or this process you have to go through to, to really figure out. It's not. It's just a way of shining a light onto uh, an engagement with a customer to say, hey, is there, is there enough value here? You can't talk about medic without talking about value. I mean, one thing you said there is about investing in a sales cycle, which is great. I think a lot of people see qualification as a, as that checklist. Should I carry on the conversation? But that's not. It's more about investing. And I love the the light up behind you saying nobody regrets, regrets qualifying out. It's um, a, one thing that was very clear in your book is that about qualifying out is not a bad thing. So many people that have oh, qualified an opportunity out, but you you will promote that and say that it should be done and we, we should be seeking to qualify out. Can you tell us more about that? When did you learn that that is a good thing? When did you, the curve happen for you that you went, actually, yes, I just want to concentrate on where the money is? So this is a funny thing. So what I came to realize, if in your gut you feel like there's not this is not going anywhere. I feel like I'm losing this or this customer isn't enough interested enough and this is heading towards inertia or whatever the, the feelings that we as salespeople have inside of us and that makes us good salespeople. If you feel that, you go to the customer and let's say you've got it wrong. There is no customer in the world, in my opinion, if you politely propose to them that you don't think this opportunity has legs, let's say, you don't feel like there is, it's worthwhile continuing engaging in this. There is no customer in the world that's going to go, well, if you think that, then Ollie, then fine, you go, I'll see you later kind of thing, right? It doesn't happen like that. We're all grown-ups, right? So if you go to qualify out, one of two things is going to happen. The customer's either going to talk you out of it, or they're going to say, you know what, right? You're right. This isn't a priority for us right now, but thank you very much for, for being as grown-up. And then the next time, by the way, because this is not qualifying out forever, this is just saying, hey, let's put a pause on this now. When they come back to you, they're going to respect you 2x, 3x, 4x, because They'll say, hey, here's someone that doesn't like wasting their time. And last time, they actually had to push us away. And so if we re-engage, let's not, you know, we're not going to waste their time again. I think that medic shows, if you do medic well, it shows great control of a deal. Then an RFP happens and you lose your control. What advice would you give to people that want to use medic, but also come up against RFPs the whole time? When, when it comes to RFPs, there's, there's all these different flavors of RFPs in there, and they depend on where they come from, who's inspired them, who's written them, what type of company is behind them in terms of, you know, is it public sector and is it like run by a third party and you don't get to do anything but fill in an Excel spreadsheet? Or there is a wide spectrum there of, of different scenarios. That's really where the decision criteria and medic is in league of its own compared to any other methodology, in my opinion. Having this conversation with the customer saying, hey, what is the criteria in which you're going to be basing your decision upon is actually a conversation you can have. It's not something that you'd necessarily want to say, but it is a very customer buying orientated focused thing. 
to focus on the technical, the commercial and the relationship elements of what the customer is looking for. And so if you get that chance to influence that, then that's the gold opportunity that you want. You want to be able to influence the RFP. And we've all done that in our careers where, you know, the RFPs come out, you sit back and you smile because you think this is not only because you can see your own influence in it, but you know your competitor is going to read it and they're going to know it's got your words all over it. There isn't really going to be anything I can say here that's going to be like one of those, like an infallible tactic here that's always going to work. But what I would say is it comes back to using Medic as a a stakeholder management framework as much as like a value framework. So for example, if I say, Ollie, you're um, my champion and I've been working with you as the salesperson and you've now told me, right, we're going to RFP on this. And then we go to RFP and then all of a sudden it's very formal and I can't really talk to you. Then that's a tricky situation to be in. But if I, when we've been working towards that RFP, I engage my manager with your manager, who let's say is Jeremy, and they build up a relationship and other senior stakeholders in the business line up other senior relationships, then you've kind of got a parallel track of communication there that isn't necessarily directly linked to the RFP. Now, again, depending on the formality and the types of company will depend on how much you can do that. But it's always one of those things that I say, you should really aim for early engagement with your executive team. In my last sales leadership role, if we ever had a, a, a meeting get booked with a, a, one of our tier one accounts, then we would, before that meeting had even taken place, we would identify who we think is the economic buyer, who is the, you know, the overall authority in that deal. And I, or even someone more senior than me in, in the company, would reach out to that person before the meeting has even taken place. And we'd reach out and we'd basically just introduce ourselves. There is no ask. It's really got to be critical. You don't make an ask. You just say, hey, you know, I'm Andy. I lead the MIA team here. Stephanie and my team has booked a meeting with some of your e-commerce team, whatever it is. And we're really excited because we've helped company company name, you know, that is like you, one of their peers or something like that. And the reason why we're excited is because we help them and we help them with these things like bullet points. We help them, you know, metrics one, metrics, metrics. I wanted to just introduce myself so that you'd have a point of contact if this opportunity goes as far as I think it could, which could be us working together in the future. For now, no ask from me, but I'm here if you have any questions. That's how you open up the engagement before you've even met with a customer. And then, of course, if it's a good meeting, you do a follow-up email as the senior exec and just give the, here's what we learned. Here's what good stuff came out from the meeting. Here's our next steps. I like it. You mentioned metrics ones, but one thing that I think I've heard a lot of people struggle with is you get your M2s, but how do you then, once you've got your M2s, you've got to, if you like, go above and below the line. So you've got to understand enough to really, if you were, I tell my team, okay, well, once you've got to M2s, you've got to know how, what you would say if you were pitching to board and what the problem is on the shop floor level. How do you do that? How do you advise people to do that? What I say about metrics is that they will be hard in your deal. When you're first working on that deal, they'll be hard and it'll make your brain hurt. It definitely makes my brain hurt. And you'll be trying to, trying to sort of think, what am I doing here? And The way I think about it is you've got to look for a number of different things. You can look to how you've helped other customers, which we've talked about. You can look up. I always say look up and then you see those value drivers, which is generally increased revenue, decreased costs or increased efficiency and decreased risk, right? So if you look to one of those, that will help align you. Actually, what am I doing here? What does this solution do for me? And then the other one you can do is think, what's the reason why we're engaged with this customer? What's behind it? And through all of those sort of different tactics, you'll start to get a better picture. And of course, from talking to the customer as well, 
you want to have your metrics in such a manner that by the time you send a proposal out to the customer, you could buy a billboard outside of their office and put the metrics on there. And every person driving in and out would see it and say, yeah, I can see in this case why Sales Loft has bought that billboard. I know our sales team and I know that they would benefit from those metrics. So it would be, you know, a metric that you would know that would resonate to not just, and that's the point, they've got to be versatile. It's got to resonate with a CEO down to, in your case, an SDR and the sales team themselves. I, I like that because, I mean, bringing in the value drivers is the bit that I think a lot of people miss. It's easy to understand an SDR needs to go from 50 calls to 100 calls, but that's not what the board care about. So John McMahon in his book does a, a lot about talking about how you test a champion. What three to four things or two or three things would you say are the best ways to test a champion? When it comes to champions, they're obviously hugely important. You know, Most people will say it's the most important part. Of, of your deal as having a champion. No champion, no deal. Big champion, big deal, right? We, we know that. But one thing I want to make really clear is that it's not always possible to have a champion, no matter how good you are at selling. The reason why I say that is I think there can be a pitfall that people can fall into where they feel like if they've got a deal where there's tons of pain and there's tons of value for their solution, and they know they've done a great job of articulating the decision criteria and the process and everything's matter, but they don't have a champion. A salesperson can feel, if the culture is not right in their sales team, that it's going to reflect badly on them. And so when they come to a deal review or one-to-one with their manager or anything, you know, even asking their peers, they feel like they can't say, you know, hey, guys, I- I've got this great deal. It's really good, but I just can't find a champion. I've got this one person and I just can't evolve them. You know, I'm looking and I can't find someone who's a champion. This is the point. If you have identified you haven't got a champion and you continue to, to persevere in your deal, you are not selling, you are order taking. All of your tactic strategies to overcome those objections require a champion. So I'll make, I just wanted to make that kind of point before answering your question. So when it comes to testing a champion, I, I, I define a champion by three ways. They have to have power and influence. They have to have a vested interest in your success and they have to be selling internally for you. That first one is the only kind of non-negotiable. And what I mean by that is if someone doesn't have power and influence, it's very, very hard for the salesperson to change that. Whereas the other two, them having a vested interest in selling internally for you is things you can coach the champion towards doing for you. Kind of a, a litmus test that you can run on it. It's more about your gut. When it comes to a vested interest in your success, it's not about the champion being biased towards you or your product. In fact, that is actually a bit of a problem. If, if they are seen as biased, then they lose credibility and that actually has a counter act for you. So what you want to do is you want to align the value they're going to get personally from your solution being successful with whatever their goals are. So that can be personal goals. And so it comes back to discovery and finding out in a manner that is driven around you helping that person rather than, again, you just trying to find something you can attach yourself to. It's discovery for that. And then the third one, selling internally for you, is a really easy one, in my opinion. You, If, if you've got a champion that has the other two if you've got a person that's a potential champion and they're, they're bought into your project, then you just have to ask them simply, has there been, you know, I've not always been around, has there been any times where, in your case, Sales Loft has come up in conversations um, when I've not been there? And then, you know, that's the first test. If they say, yes, it came up yesterday, what do they tell you? If they tell you what happened, that's kind of a check. They're kind of crossing a line there maybe by sharing internal information with you, which is good. But the real test comes here. And what did people say? 
you know, everyone was all right. But then there was Jeff. I'm sorry, uh, Ollie, but Jeff just doesn't like, he doesn't like sales tech. He thinks there's too much of it. You know, he's just not a fan. He was, he was saying we should probably pause on this a bit. Well, what did you say to Jeff? And at that point there, you have your test of whether that person's a true champion. Because if they said, well, let you, you know what? Jeff won't be a problem for us anymore. Then you know that that person has um, been selling internally for you. If they turn around and go, well, you know, Jeff, I'm not going to stand up to Jeff no matter what, then, you know, you've got um, work to do. A quick fire question, but well, let's try and make the answer quick fire. SDRs, how do you get SDRs to pre-frame the process using Medic? Because a lot of companies go from band to Medic. It's completely different. So can we answer that quickly? When we're talking about outbound, you can use Medic to use it as a, a tool to identify who are your ideal customer profiles and what do they care about and who cares about what. The metrics are which companies have you helped the most? Can we find more companies as prospects like those companies? And inside of those companies, what pain do we solve for those customers? How do we solve it? And then who cares, right? What personas cared and, and why did they care? And if you think about that from a perspective of arming an SDR team, with a really strong, rich database of metrics, pains that people care about, how you solve those pains, the decision criteria, and who is, is the people that care right from the economic buyer, which could be, you know, I guess in your world is probably a CRO, I would imagine frequently, through to those sales leaders, which I'm guessing are frequently your champions. You arm an SDR with all of that information, you're going to really, really zoom in on the things that your customers care about. Because guess what? It's tested because you're taking the data directly from your successful customers. So it's like, find more successful customers like that. It starts the conversation off in the language of value. Maybe, uh, Andy, you could close just by talking a little bit about how you came across Medic, right? I mean, the origin story there is, for folks who don't know, is, is the team over at PTC back in the 90s, right? Where did you first encounter it and, and how, why did it make such an impression on you? I started at Sprinkler and we went over to New York for their, what they call their Splash, which is their onboarding program. And it was part of the onboarding program there. And, and Dick Dunkel at the time, he was at Sprinkler and he, he's the guy that really came up with the acronym and the letters behind it. He was actually an account executive at the time, but he was transitioning into sales enablement. So he kind of helped and it was you know quite an honor to, to kind of have that, that experience um, with him. But it was about four or five months later, um, uh, Sprinkler brought in a company called Force Management Consultancy firm that do sales transformation, I think is what you'd call it. And they really re-implemented Sprinkler with Medic. And that was a game changer for me because I'd, I'd kind of, and I think this is one of the things why I probably have a unique perspective on Medic. I kind of had like a, a light implementation as part of my onboarding and then went back to the UK and no one really used it. And then, you know, it was re-implemented and I was like, wow, this was game changer. So it, it really changed how I sold. I also had that horrible feeling of like, oh man, how much time and energy would I have saved if I'd had this before? How much more successful could I have been? And then, you know, from then I went to um, another company that was the same thing. They said they used it. They talked about it for an hour and onboarding. And then I got back to the UK and it was just these derelict fields in Salesforce that no one talked about. And then, so, you know, by the time I got into sales leadership, it was one of the things in my playbook. And in both cases, actually, I didn't intend to, but in both cases, where I inherited a sales team, it was without a shadow of a doubt the number one thing I should deploy from my playbook. You know, I, I give all credit to Medic rather than anyone else, other than the salespeople themselves who were great, that it changed both of those companies. It changed the trajectory of those, those sales teams 
big time. I have uh, a lot of affinity for it, but it's only come from success that I've seen, to be honest. You know, I've seen a lot of whether you process methodology, frameworks, whatever, they only stick if they are adopted by the sales team. And, and I would I would say two places in particular. Number one, in fact, is first line managers. If the first line managers don't adopt and believe and do it every day, it won't stick. And then top leadership also needs to believe and hold those managers managers accountable. Well, yeah. Andy, it was so incredible having you on the show, sharing your wisdom. I, I assume if people want to go check you out, it's LinkedIn or, or M-E-D-D-I-C-C-2Ds-2Cs.com is the best way to get you. Is that right? That's actually right. I actually also have medic with 1C.com as well, which is a bit of a coup lately. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, you got you to get all the variations. Well, uh, Molly, thanks for hosting. And Andy, thanks for being on. Thanks, guys. Take care. Cheers. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.